I'm going to go ahead and get us started. It's good to see everyone out this morning. Um, it's good to have you here with us. Obviously, as many of you know, we start our gospel meeting this week with Brother Jason Harden, and he's sitting here on the front row. And uh, so I guess the most important part of the meeting is here. Um, just another tidbit of information. Uh, Regina and I drove about 35 mile an hour across 95 because we had so much snow up north. And that's our third snow. And if you're older, you know that after three snows of Persithia, then spring comes. So that's our third one. So let's hope that holds true. So uh, I'm going to introduce Jason. Uh, we're really looking forward to having him here with us all week long. Uh, he'll be with, your, not, with us not only today, but each evening. And I encourage you not only to be here yourselves, but to invite your friends and neighbors as well. And so I don't want to take any more time, and uh, I want to thank Jason for coming and spending time with us here at Park Road. Thank you very much. Uh, if you will, open a Bible with me to John chapter 15. Good to be with you all today. Very, very, very much. We're going to be in John chapter 15 in a few moments but it seems very appropriate if uh, you would bow with me. Why don't we begin our time with a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings of this new morning and the blessings of a new week. You are so good to us in so many ways, and we, we want to praise you today. We want to express our thanks today. We want to grow in our awareness of just how much we need you. You are our Savior, but you are also our Lord. And it may be even this morning that there is someone who is alienated from you. And we pray that our time together in God's word would help them to see you more clearly. Help all of us to see you more clearly than, than we ever have before so that we know we have a relationship with you by grace and, and we are better equipped to share with others reason for the hope that we have. We thank you that our hope is alive in Jesus Christ today. We pray that your blessing would be on us as we open up your word and study from it. May you be great in our minds and may our minds be filled with a longing to be with you for eternity. It's in the name of Jesus, our King, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for the invitation. It is, um, it is always strange for me now when I drive through Columbus. doesn't happen very often, but I I do drive through here and there, sometimes on the way to other places, and uh, even though we have lived away from here for almost five years, as hard as that is to believe, it uh, feels like maybe if I just blink the right way or tilt my head the right way, it, it, it still very much feels like home. And so I appreciate very much the opportunity to come back to an area that means a great deal to us, not necessarily because of the geography, uh, but because of the people. And there are several very familiar faces uh, that mean a great deal to me. It's good to see you again and, and good to be with you all. I hope that our time together this week in God's word is, is, 
encouraging to you. I hope that it challenges you, makes you think, and that above all, you want to walk with Jesus more at the end of this week than you did at the beginning of this week. If that is the case on Friday night, then this will have been a week, I believe, very well spent. Appreciate the thought that went into what to do this week. It is always encouraging to me to ask and uh, to hear that there has been some discussion and some thought as to how to make the most of time together. And so I appreciated in talking with Brian uh, the, the thought that over the course of the next few days, it would be good to think about who we are as disciples and what our role of service as disciples are. It's been a challenging couple of years. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter uh, what you do for a living, the last two years have been challenging in a lot of ways. And so I hope that our time together over the next few days kind of brings us back to square one in some ways, makes us think about what matters most, maybe gets our minds back on our mission as disciples of Jesus, if there's been any drift along those lines. And so today I just want to talk with you in this first session about developing a personal connection to the body. Seems like a very, very good, basic place for us to begin. If you got your Bible open there to John chapter 15, I'm going to do just a little bit of reading. But then over the course of the next several minutes, I would love just some interaction with you. Treat this more like a typical Bible class. Let's begin in John chapter 15 and verse 1. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, of course. He has spent days teaching in the temple. He has just washed the feet of his disciples. He has observed his last Passover with them and... This is the night that he will be betrayed and arrested. But before that, in John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As 
the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I appreciate the effort to hand out those papers. There's not going to be any sort of a test. If those aren't helpful to you, then you just set that aside. It's helpful to me. It's helpful uh, to our church family there at Charlestown Road to have something like that to follow along, but no pressure either way as long as you have an open Bible. I want really to zero in with you on verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to think with you this morning and discuss with you, hopefully, how this works. How is it that I, in the 21st century, on the other side of the globe from where Jesus walked the earth, how is it that I can abide in someone? Someone I've never seen with my physical eyes. Someone you've never heard with your physical ears. How is it that you can abide in someone to the degree that you bear fruit? Not the sort of fruit that you can bear on your own. The only way we can bear this fruit is if we are connected to this vine. That's, that's the word picture that is being painted here, right? Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We want to explore over the next few minutes. How does that work? Right? Go ahead. Well, that begs the question. Obviously, we're connected through God's work. All right? That connects us. We have an understanding. But, but it was a question of our readers, Jason, where he talks about that we shall bear fruit. Uh-huh. What does that fruit look like? What yeah. is he talking about? We'll get to that before we're done. But I appreciate it. Absolutely. First of all, you're highlighting the idea of God's word. I want to think with you very much along those lines. Anybody have a trellis like this? Or you've, of course, seen trellises like this. You might have one of these sorts of things in your backyard right now. It, uh, uh, there's not much on it, I'm guessing. And if there is, it probably doesn't look that good. It, it probably should have been cleared off a while back. But we understand what trellises do, right? They, they provide support for a living thing. I've never met a person who just wants a trellis in their backyard or on their back porch or something like that. And, and they just like the way that it looks. No intention to have anything grow on it. It's just, well, you know, pleasing to look at. Maybe that is the case. But uh, everyone that I've ever interacted with who has this sort of thing recognizes it's got a purpose, right? Not just to look at, but to provide support. And with this idea of developing a, a personal connection to the vine, 
Let's think about two different sides of this trellis, both connected as Brian has brought out to the Word of God. I suggest to you maybe the left side of that trellis we could compare to the home. Now, not every home, we realize, in this fallen, broken world provides the right sort of support as envisioned by our Creator where someone is going to grow in an environment where everyone in that home loves God, respects God, serves God, talks about God, pleases God by, by the way that they live. We realize, even on page 3 of your Bible on, there are lots of homes represented in the Bible where there was a lot of weeding that needed to happen, right? A lot of tearing down, a lot of things that, that, that had to be drug out and burned, if you will, because that wasn't the sort of thing that needed to be. But as far as the home, as the Lord God Almighty intended, envisioned, well, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a, a nice snapshot of that, right? Where in verse 1, children are talked to, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and your mother. And then the, the Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to talk directly to fathers, right? In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice the... The verb there, bring these children up. It's not an exact parallel, but it's the sort of language that maybe relates to this idea of a trellis. We realize that even in the best of homes, if we put that in, in quotation marks, Every single home is imperfect because it's made up of people, right? And people are imperfect. There's not one of us who has grown up in a home of, of perfection. The, the best fathers and mothers need God's grace. The best fathers and mothers need grace even from others who live within the, the same home, right? And, and so we're, we're not talking about, well, if, if I have ever been a part of a home where this ideal wasn't lived up to, then I might as well close my Bible and wait for the next session because it's, it's too late. We're, we're too far above. Not at all. Not at all, okay? What we're looking at is the will of our Creator and as long as we have breath in our bodies and as long as we have minds that are able to more closely be conformed to the image of our creator, well, there, there's work to do, right? There's progress that can be made. And so on one side of this trellis is we need to work to build homes where the atmosphere is a respect for the Lord. We realize that those children are going to grow up with minds of their own, wills of their own, and, and children 
for millennia have grown up in environments where God is loved and served and respected. And perhaps those children decide to do something different. Okay? What we're talking about is, in a sense, this trust. Providing a source of support. On the other side of this, maybe we could put the church. And I want you to remember how Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 describes the church. That it is, in a sense, a pillar and support of the truth. Again, not an exact parallel, but lends itself to this idea of a, a kind of trellis. And so if you envision someone who's growing up, they're, they're not the trellis, they're the living thing, right? A, a, a trellis is, is a, an inanimate support object, if you will, okay? And we're envisioning someone growing up. Maybe they, they work to develop a relationship with Jesus from a very young age. Maybe they come to develop a relationship with Jesus a little later on in their lives. But isn't this the sort of support system that God envisions, especially in the context of the New Testament with the, the introduction of the Lord's church? Isn't this the sort of support system that he envisioned? I want you, let, let me just ask you. What sort of support does the home provide in developing, or the home should provide, maybe we should say, should the, the, the home provide for someone that is developing a, a personal relationship with Jesus? How does that work in the home? What sort of support is lended along those lines within the context of a, of a godly home? What do you think? Okay, I learn about who God is, okay? I'm not born with that knowledge, right? I am born fearfully and wonderfully made, but we've got even in Old Testament prophecy, and it's confirmed in the New Testament, I'm going to have a, a covenant relationship with God. Somebody has to teach me how to have it. I'm not born into that. So who is God? I learned that at home, hopefully, correct? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? And how should I look at the time and the opportunities and the, the life that God has given me? What does it mean to love as my father loved? What does it mean to respect God as my creator and as my, my father in heaven? All sorts of things, you, you get the idea, are learned in the home. Hopefully we get a sense of the story of the Bible. What's this big book all about, right? If You know, just as surely as I know, we'll talk about the church in a moment. If a parent decides to let the church or depend on the church, lean on the church to teach their children 
everything that they're going to learn about the Bible, the big picture of the Bible, what the Bible is all about, how to have a, a relationship with God. You've been around long enough to know that's not going to go real well, right? The, the church cannot be, it never was intended to be the singular vehicle by which your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren learn about the Bible. That begins at home. It doesn't begin there. It, it, is, it, it doesn't just begin there. It is centered there, right? What happens in the context of the church is a, is a very nice additive to that, right? A, a needed supplement to that. Primary place of learning and development is is the whole. That's uh, that's where you can look and see every day living example of what it means to be, what it looks like to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is you know, hopefully, ideally, right? Ideally, yes. So we we gather together in assemblies like this, classes like this, right? And uh, you know, culturally, we've got this. Probably pretty unhelpful barrier that you could have had the worst week imaginable, and you walk in these doors and somebody asks you how you are, we say, I'm fine. When you're not really fine, right? But in the context of a home, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And, and hopefully you see the, the way that the ups and downs of life are celebrated and endured in a way that that honors God, right? To, to tie into Jared, you know, when we parent our children here to study, do Bible studies regardless of their age, when we take them home and they see contrary to what the Bible teaches, told you, you just taught them, yeah. you know, uh, in other words, for lifestyles, Absolutely. Well said. Well said. So let's look at the other side of this, just for the sake of time. If in the home I learn about God and Jesus and the, the story of the Bible, hopefully I learn how to pray within the context of home. I, I, I learn what the, the basics of the Bible are. I, I learn why it matters, the, the blessing of singing even at Home. On the other side of this, with the church, I mean, obviously right now we've got uh, young hearts in other parts of this building who are in Bible classes right now. We're anticipating uh, an assembly of all of us together in just a little while. And then later on this afternoon, uh, we've got, of course, midweek Bible classes that are just a regular routine of the the life of this congregation, right? You've got a special event this week that I'm blessed to be a part of. Hopefully you, you, you have regular readings of the Bible. You spend time together in a variety of ways, right? Building those, those relationships. All sorts of things that support is provided. Structure is provided. And that was God's idea, right? If, 
time allowed, we could go back and we could trace the earliest indications of that in a, a, a historical book like Acts. But for the sake of time, let's push a little further and recognize that these are tremendous blessings. The home, the church, tremendous blessings. But a, a little dose of reality, maybe an important reminder or refresher, neither being born into the home of Christians nor attending the assemblies of Christians will make me a branch of the vine. And we have tangible reminders of that here and there in, in life, right? Where someone grows up in the home of dedicated Christians. But just because they grew up in that environment doesn't mean they have a personal connection to Jesus Christ as the Bible. Someone can sit within the context of assemblies for Christians for many, many, many years and not develop a personal connection to the Bible. So let's, let's explore that a little for the next few minutes. If, if Jesus is this vine, John 15, 5, we heard him say that, and really verses 1 through 11 flesh that, that word picture out, right? Jesus is the vine, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm working slowly to develop a, a, a personal connection to the vine, and, and there are others who have borne much, much more fruit than I have. They've been walking with Jesus for much longer than I have been walking. They have have done things that I only hope to be able to do as, as a disciple of Jesus, as I, I grow and mature. What I'd like you to really think critically about over the course of the next few minutes is, what if, okay, I just stay out there? If Jesus in this picture is that on the right side, he's the the vine. And I just kind of stay out there and rather than being a branch of the vine, I'm more like a branch of a branch. Let's say early on in life. Dad and mom, they're branches of the vine. And I'm a branch of a branch. Dad and mom, you know, they, they prayed in the home before we ate every meal. Dad and mom brought me to Bible classes growing up. Dad and mom are serious disciples. Special events like that, they're going to be here every night. They're, they're all in, I would say. But, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure. That I'm as serious as they are. And let's say I, well, let me just ask you. If I'm a, a branch of a branch of a vine, that going to be good long term or not so good long term? Not so good. How come? 
theirs, but I don't have a personal relationship with their Lord. He's their Lord. I'm not sure he's my Lord yet. And so let's say I move six hours away to go to college. And that branch that I've been connected to isn't there to knock on my door on a Sunday morning and tell me it's time to get up and go to church. You see how easily now there is not just distance between me and the vine. There's not really a personal connection to the vine because I've been a branch of another branch. Right? As parents, we have to recognize that. And I'll probably make a statement and I'll probably see some regret it. But that is a case where if we have a child that's going to leave the house, we've got to make sure they're in a position where they can be grafted into that line regardless of where they're at so that they can continue to grow. Too many parents love that branch and the branch get too far away to the point where it's under treatment. Yeah. We'll use, we'll hear the Apostle Paul use that idea of grafting here in just a few moments. I appreciate you using it. You know, there, there are a variety of ways that we could illustrate this, right? I mean, we just fill in various uh, different people in the blanks. If, if grandmother and grandfather were really serious disciples of Jesus and, and eventually they pass away, well, it's not that I, I cannot develop a personal relationship with the vine. But if my connection to the vine has just been through grandma and grandpa and they're not here anymore, now there's a, there's a serious issue here. Or maybe it's my spouse, right? My, my spouse has been walking with Jesus for a really long time and, and I, I hear about Jesus from a distance. There, there's, there's an air about Jesus, about my, my, my spouse, but I've never personally been connected to Jesus. And then, you know, my, my spouse passes away or my spouse gets diagnosed with terminal cancer. What then? What's going to happen then? Or, you know, friends. We could throw in friends that are really dedicated to Jesus. And because we are friends, it has been maybe a little easier, a little more natural for me, in a sense, to have a little bit of a relationship with Jesus. But then those friends move away. Or even, we could say, the local church. The local church, you know, they've been meeting in the same place for a really, really long time. And, and, you know, they've been meeting at the same time for decades. And I know when those doors are going to be opened and unlocked. And, uh, you know, we, uh, it, it's just an understood thing. Well, I, I go to church on Sunday. And, you know, as long as there's not too much going on on Wednesday, I'll be there. Wednesday night and special events, you know, if, if I, especially something captures my imagination, my attention, I'm going to do my best to be there as, as often as I possibly can. But, you know, March 2020 rolls around. And suddenly there are very real challenges and tough judgment calls that have to be made 
able to be in assemblies with that local church. What then? If, if I have just been a branch of a bigger branch that is the local church and suddenly that, that branch is rattled in some way, what happens then? And I have a very strong feeling, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I have a pretty strong feeling that you, just like so many churches all over the place, have, have seen how maybe we weren't as strong or as dedicated or, or, or we didn't have that, that personal connection to the vine that perhaps we thought we had. And then a, a storm rolls through, right? And, and you know just as surely as I know that if the storm is bad enough, you, you might be dealing with a really big tree and that, that trunk is still standing and, and the biggest strongest branches are still standing, but you've got all sorts of smaller branches that have just been tossed to and fro all over the place. Well, that's, that's the sort of thing we're talking about. So, we've got about 15 minutes or so. How then can I make sure this isn't me, that it, it, it's not I'm a branch of a branch, but how can I personally develop a relationship with this vine? How can I teach my children to do this sort of thing? We'll come back to John chapter 15 in just a moment. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the, the stuff of discipleship, right? This is what we're trying to help our, our co-workers, our friends, our our neighbors to do. We recognize that there are so many people around me who don't have a personal connection to the Bible. Maybe my own connection to the Bible needs some work. We'll talk about some things along those lines. But especially if we're thinking in terms this week of who are we as disciples and what's our mission? Let's get back on this is why we're here, and this is what lives of discipleship are all about. Well, it starts, does it not, with recognizing, I mean, you, you take a, a branch that has been blown off of a tree. Maybe you're different from me. I, I'm guessing you're not. I, if I see a bunch of branches that have been blown off of a tree and in a really bad storm, I'm probably not even going to refer to them as branches anymore. What, what do you refer to former branches that got blown off of the tree? Kindling. Sticks? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason that we've got a word like sticks or kindling, right? Because we recognize it can't survive apart from that tree. And what a vivid picture of each one of us separated from God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, this is how Peter or Paul begins. You were dead. Apart from God, God is this life-giving source. And apart from him, separated from him, I'm like a dead stick. 
laying on the ground. And the reason that I'm dead, he continues, is because of my trespasses and sins in which I once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What a vivid word picture to, to, to use kind of as lenses this week, that as I look around at people who, who don't know God, they, they weren't born alienated from God. They, they were born connected to, created in the image of the source of life and joy and love and everlasting hope, right? But every single person you interact with this week who's old enough to begin making choices as to how I'm going to live and, and who's going to call the shots and, and what I'm going to do. Well, we all choose at times to trespass, right? We all choose at times to do what God says is out of bounds. That's sin. And it's more than a, it's not a sin vacation where I go away for a little while and then, you know, I come back and everything is undisturbed and, and we can just get back to normal. It is death. It is a, a storm of sin that blows me away from the source of life. And here I am, in a sense, lying on the, the, the lawn and on my own. I am lost, separated from God, right? The good news pivots in verse 4, right? But God, if God doesn't intervene, I'm, I'm just a dead stick. I'm, I'm kindling in a, a very significant sense, right? But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What incredible news that those who are dead can be made alive together with Christ by Grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. I was, you were a dead stick. Whatever we do for the rest of our lives, we're not the heroes. Right? We're not the main characters. The glory and the honor and the praise does not belong to us. We were dead. By grace, we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We were created by Him now in a double sense. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, if I'm going to develop this personal connection to the vine, 
Here's the significant starting point, right? I've got to be brought to life. I cannot do that on my own. And I appreciated Brian using this grafted word earlier. Open your Bibles with me real quick to Romans chapter 11 and verse 17. We'll, we'll get back to John chapter 15 in just a moment. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul uses this beautiful idea. Verse 17 of Romans 11. If some of the branches were broken off, here's our, our word picture for the hour. If some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others. Some of you, I'm sure, have done that. I Pictures like this help me. I have always been a city boy. I enjoy nature, but I couldn't tell you the first thing about how to do this. I can watch other people do it, right? Maybe some of you have done this where there is a, a literal grafting going on and given enough time what was cut what was on his way to dying because it is now grafted in and drawing life and, and support and nourishment from what is alive well that's, that's the word picture here now you share, Paul says in Romans eleven seventeen, in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So none of this, well, I feel bad about what I've done. I, I know I've done a lot of trespassing, a lot of sinning, and I need Jesus to save me. But I want to do my own thing. Well, that's like saying, here I am dead, and I, I sure could use a Savior, but I don't want to be constricted to this nourishing root. I still want to do my own thing. That is a sure path to death. Right? You know, that, that, that branch that gets grafted in has to stay there. The word that John would use all over his epistles is abide. Right? You've got to abide. Jesus himself, we heard, say there in John chapter 15. In fact, let's throw that back up here. John chapter 15 and verse 4. Abide in me, we have heard Jesus say that night of his betrayal. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. How can I develop a personal connection to the vine? Well, I've got to be brought to life. I've got to be grafted in. I've got to abide in him. I've got to live now for him. Isn't that Romans chapter 12? Verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed. That's what's happening. Literal, physical 
grafting process, right? It is now abiding in him, living for him, and following his lead. You might turn your Bible back there to John 15 if you've turned away. We'll, we'll land our plane this morning with just noticing several statements from John chapter 15. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It's no longer me in charge, me in the lead. It's following his lead. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now we realize he's talking to the apostles in, in this context, right? But is he not ultimately talking about this connection even though he is going away? He promises in John 14 and 16 and he prays about in John chapter 17 the, the fact that he's not leaving them on, his, on their own, right? The helper, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come and be a source of Comfort and help and strength, and he's going to guide these apostles in all the truth. But there are seeds here, obviously, for, for all disciples of Jesus. I need to thirst for his word that Brian drew our attention to near the, the top of the hour, and, and fertilizing that life with prayer, talking to my Father in heaven. Here's a time. John chapter 15 and verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Shelly and I love to try and grow things. She's better at it than I am. But it took us a long time, probably much longer than it should have. A long time to figure out that, you know, in the fall, you really got things back. And when you do, it seems so counterintuitive, right? That why, why would I cut back all of this growth over the course of the, the past year? It, it seems so full and so alive. Why would I cut all of this back thinking that somehow it's actually going to be good for this living thing when so much is now laying on the ground. It's pruning, right? Let, let, let me just ask you here. We've got a, a couple of minutes. What's this going to look like in the life of a disciple? Pruning, trusting his pruning. To borrow from verse 2 of John 15. What's that look like? Sins are washed away. You hear that very, very clearly. And, 
trust that. Our, our sins have been washed away. But there is a reason that, for instance, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 talks about to Christians the works of the flesh and that we must follow the lead of the Spirit, right? In fact, I mean, we can just throw that up here before our time expires. Bearing the fruit of His Spirit in Galatians 5, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But that is a daily exercise, right? Daily trusting that God knows what He's doing. His way is the best way. He knows better than I do. And even when it hurts, even when I want to hold on to things that he says are out of bounds, or even when I, 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 if I'm honest with myself, this, this is weighing me down. It might not be a matter of right and wrong, but good and better and best. And this is this too much of that good and better. And it's weighing down or choking out the best. And it might feel for a little while like he's killing me. <laughs> but I trust his proof. And ultimately, he's the one who gives the glory. Right? John 15, 8. By this my father is glorified. Last point. That my joy may be full. I, I love the fact that this is where Jesus ends this, this particular word picture that I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What a, a great thing to reflect on for the next 10 minutes or so just personally before we, we express our praise and our thanksgiving to God that even when it's tough, God wants the best. He wants my joy, your joy, to be full. And the only way for that to happen is to develop a personal connection to that matter. I really appreciate you thinking through those things with me. And uh, I hope it gives us a good sense of context for everything we want to talk about this week. Thank you for being here.